gloomy, mostly Euclidean confines of Castle Gormagon, upon the lofty wind-blasted heights of the Plateau of Lang, I am Confucius the Ecumenical Volgi, and this is Radio Gormagon. Thank you, Volgi, and see you at dinner. Uh, hello, Gormagon fans. It's the Tsar of Muscovy, assisted for the moment by the inscrutable Mandarin. Hello, children. Hello. And for the first time, we've also got Sleestack with us today for a new segment on our podcasts in which we tackle some of the incredible scientific and technological breakthroughs happening today, mostly right here in the castle basement. Whatever. In the incredibly unlikely event that this segment proves popular, we'll feature a few more of these every so often. But today, we have a real treat to kick off this new feature. I was reading a week ago that scientists at the University of Lancashire, which is just outside Mamuka, Tennessee, I believe, have identified over 29 distinct barks and growls dogs can make and have begun to categorize what you might call a rough glossary. Well, I mentioned this to Mandarin here. Obey me. Who said it would be surprisingly easy to make one and actually hook it up to Sleestack. Let's hope it hurts. To be fair, the idea of hooking it up to Sleestack was my idea. So Mandarin is attaching a small device to Sleestack now, sort of like a collar right around his throat. From what I can understand, this is what produces the sound we'll be able to hear. Uh, This attaches with a wire up to some electrodes, which Mandarin is attaching to Sleestack's left temporal lobe, so that when Sleestack's language center of his brain activates, the box on his neck will translate his sounds into human speech. Um, Sleestack is struggling a bit, as he's not especially used to things being inserted into his skull, but I think we're largely done. Yes? Okay, Mandarin is going to go over to his switch bank on the far side of the room and is turning it on. We're good? Yeah, I think I think we're good. So here we go. Sleestack, can you hear me? Sleestack. Okay, it sounds like we have a connection. What are you thinking about, Sleestack? Pewter. That's very nice. Wash and mop floors. Right, that's, that's your job here at the castle. So it looks like we have some cognitive memory functions. Melon rind. Melon rind, right. Uh, well, that's probably a reward function in the neocortex. Melon rind. Uh, coming through. And this shows the neural interface is connecting to the various portions of his brain. Melon Using the rind. thalamus, or whatever substitutes for one in Sleestack's reptilian brain, to act as a Sleestack. central switch Want. to and from Melon his language rind. centers. centers. Uh, so we're getting a lot of activity Good. now, as Sleestack's Good. brain seems very compatible with the interface. Interface. I think we... I think we can agree this is a very effective demonstration of the te- uh, technology and is working or is appearing to work uh, much better than our initial expectations. Sleestack is clearly Sleestack. thinking and talking to us, and we're able Pewter. to hear his thoughts, his English Wash words. And uh, the applications of this technology can Melon go quite Ryan. far, uh, well beyond Sleestack. So most of you are probably Wash. thinking this could help. Pet owners uh, talk to their dogs and cats, sure. Interface. And that's uh, that's definitely the commercial benefit that will prove most popular. But in terms of of allowing mute people or, say, deaf people or even stroke victims uh, the ability to regain speech and communicate with their families, well, that will be the real miracle application. Never. Excuse me? Neva. Uh, Neva, I think, is in Connecticut or somewhere. 
he's referring to Neva, one of the Gormagon's most loyal followers, and pretty much the only person in existence to show any form of kindness Neva. Uh, to Sleestack. Neva. Uh, yeah, but she's not here, Sleestack. I'm, I'm sure, however, that... Melonrind. Okay, well, we're back to that, apparently. Uh, anyway... Never give Melonrind. Uh, she's not here, dude. Uh, she can't give you a Melonrind. Anyway, the applications... Never give good Melonrind. Uh, somehow I get the feeling we're not talking about Melonrinds anymore. Never give Sleestack good Melonrind. Uh, uh, me too, buddy. Okay, can we, can we, Never uh, change give the topic? Sleestack Good melon uh, rind. Pull the plug, Mandy. Uh, pull the plug. He's going off the reservation. Ow. Okay. Uh, oh, me. Okay, folks, as we feared, uh, science and technology has be betrayed us once again. Uh, I've got to go get the pole with the uh, taser clamp oh, for Slee Stack and get him back in his cage. Oh, uh, so I'll manually restraining him. Uh, uh, we'll talk soon. Great. Good night. Never give Sleestack good melon rind now. Never give Sleestack good melon rind now. Welcome to the men's discus throw qualifiers, where competitors must throw a distance of at least 66 meters to enter into the competition for gold. I'm Nick Cassegrain, and I'll be your host throughout the competition, except for the roughly 70 minutes of commercials we'll intersperse after every event consisting pretty much of the same four commercials showed over and over again. With me as usual on the field is Bella Wrights, 2012 Olympian, whom we won't let talk because, frankly, she's as dry as the eczema on your back after you stay at one of those cheap hotels near that domestic airport. Our first athlete is Marcus Lewandowski of Nigeria, whose practice worlds had him throwing neatly into the 70-meter range. Lewandowski, of course, was born in Eugene, Oregon, and did track and field for U-Miss before agreeing to compete for Nigeria. Earlier, I referenced him as an athlete, but let's be honest, the discus throwers are short, squat, and look like they're having some sort of an aphylactic reaction to breast milk or something. So much so that our videographers there are crawling around on the ground to film them with Dutch angles in an attempt to make them look big and menacing. Well, in fact, they're built exactly like that guy who farted himself off his bar stool and onto the floor to the delight of some bored long-haul truckers at some highway rust stop outside Council Bluffs, Iowa, Tuesday evening. You know the one. Anyway, Lewandowski twirls himself around and heaves the discus. There it goes. And hits the 67-meter mark, so that easily puts him one and done into one of the 16 slots. I think that's a quarterfinal, but maybe not. As a network broadcaster, math has never been a necessary strong suit for me, and frankly, most of us in broadcast media are suspicious of those who can handle fractions. Uh, next up, dressed in an outfit that looks like it was spray-painted directly onto his bloated physique, is Abdul Abrahasamanda of Great Britain whose weight is given here as 20 stone, which I'm guessing must be pretty big stones, as he's a slovenly-looking lad. And based on a surprising decision to not wear underwear with a spandex outfit like that, they must be referring to some other kind of big stones. Abdul steps into the circle, grabs the discus, which weighs two kilos, or about as much as the obscene sandwich he must wolf down eight times a day. Then he sets himself... He spins around, looking very much like a Volkswagen Beetle, skidding on an ice patch and throws. There it goes. And he lands it smack on the roof of the upper seating deck. 
While the judge hurries up the stairs to measure the distance, I'd like to point out that Abdul, if that's even his real name, hails from Lincoln, Nebraska, where he played football for Arizona State while delivering pizzas. That's quite a trick to do both at the same time, unless I misread that about the pizzas. Stepping out of the circle now is Tommy McBut. At least that's how it's spelled, of Ireland. Tommy, who's just finished throwing up his lunch of whiskey, wipes his chin with his own forearm in spectacular fashion. Too drunk to really stand, he takes what appears to be a discus, although I think it's the cover from a landscaping well, and gives it a mighty toss before hurling it. Right into the head of the judge standing behind him. Well, while we wait for medical personnel to tend to the judge, we should take a short but annoying break to replay the same car commercial with the whiny kid pretending to be an Olympic athlete as if anyone under the age of 30 really cares about these games. But we won't, because stepping into the circle now is Chandra Sakara Abrusamania Nekajasa Walunder Subrasuaman... You know, I'm just going to call him the athlete from the CPE. What the hell country is that? Has somebody looked that up, please? Is that K. Prince Edward or something? Or one of those political showboat abbreviations the IOC continuously come up with because they don't want to offend some terrorist country by saying he's from some contested region they're presently defecating themselves over. Anyway... It doesn't matter because Abdul Asabahamandra has eaten the CPE's discus and a substantial portion of his throwing arm. So the medical personnel are really busy out there today, as you could imagine. Eating the best portion of the arm raw. He should really put some barbecue sauce on that, like a nice smoky, sweet, chicory, Kansas City type of sauce. That's what I do, anyway. Wash that down with a nice cheer wine, maybe. Next up is Jan Mumbwala Ahmed McVanderwerle of Denmark, also known as Switzerland, who previously set the discus throwing world on fire for breaking the all-time record for chair stacking at the 1988 Furniture World Brand Marketing Conference in Germany, a full 40 years before he was even born. That's a serious amount of dedication right there. You know, too often the public forgets what irritating gadflies we try to be with curt reminders of possibly and pointlessly uninteresting facts that seem to begin with phrases like, you know, too often, when in fact the only people who need reminding of these things are media types like myself, who self-enclose inside bubbles of utter ignorance. I mean, five years ago I couldn't even pronounce the word bodega without now snidely acting like I've shopped locally at one my whole life while lecturing you about the importance of shopping locally. I couldn't even tell you, more accurately, my Uber driver, where a barrio even is, since the furthest I've traveled for my apartment was a gluten-free tapas bar that was a business for like 20 minutes one summer. And he held a Denmarkian guy through his disc is about 68 meters, totally forgot to tell you that, which qualifies him. So he and Lewandowski are now going head-to-head into the quarter semifinals, bringing some world-class competition to this event, which is fortunate because of these Olympics, and that's sort of what you come to expect, right? That is, this is getting superbly interesting. We're going to cut to that commercial break and come back with something like water steeplechase BMX skateboarding or something nobody understands, where I'll be replaced with another equally vapid sports-hating pseudo-celebrity aided by some punk-ass 20-year-old who will have bizarre names for virtually every trick you see, like a quasi-turn-inverted windmill, which looks very much like you and me, you know, falling off a skateboard horse bike or whatever they use. Anyway, that's it for, for me for now. And if you want to see more from Discus Throwing, you can watch live, commercial-free, and without skin-crawling commentary kits from people nowhere near as smart as you, right on the Internet from a variety of public sites. While the Australopithecus afarensis that runs our programming department tries to figure out why we're losing viewers, as well as discover core and flake stone technology on the side. 
Hey, here's that car commercial again with that precocious kid wanted to be just as great as the Olympian spreader doing the cameo spot narration, who ironically was just red-carded for a false start during these very qualifiers earlier today and now won't even be on television. Enjoy! Mel and Ryan.